Welcome to this week's episode of From the Lighthouse. This week I'm joined in the studio with Diana Plater and we are talking about travel writing. Diana Plater is a prize-winning journalist, author, playwright and travel writer whose recent publication Whale Rock won the Global Ebook Gold Medal for Popular Literature. Diana joins us today to share her insights into travel writing. Diana was travel editor for Australian Associated Press, The Ages Stringer in Central America, and her work appears in such publications as The Saturday Paper. She has a veritable wealth of knowledge and experience. Thank you so much to Diana for travelling to Macquarie today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Uh, Diana, could you tell us how you first got started as a travel writer? Well, I came through the sort of traditional journalism path. Um, I did a cadetship at the Sydney Morning Herald um, and worked as a journalist for many years before I did any travel writing. Now and again, I'd write a travel story because I was, when I was based in Central America, um, because sometimes a travel story is a way to write about an issue that you can f- find hard to write about as a straight political story. So that's another way of looking at it. Um, but then in later years, um, I went back to working for Australian Associated Press and I ended up becoming their travel editor. And uh, so I, I come from a journalistic background, basically. Yeah, and, and, and I guess hearing you talk about that uh, sort of <coughs> cadetship and, and that training, can you share with us what sort of a, a little bit of a glimpse into what that might have looked like uh, in terms of I guess managing deadlines in in, in yeah. terms of sink or swim, you know, just just so that uh, we get a, a little bit of a sense of of what that might have been like um, as you were starting out. Well, it, you, it's a very good discipline to have, um, even if you're a freelancer. Um, if you've had some time working in a newsroom, it can make a massive difference. You know that you can't muck around. You know. For example, if you work for a newspaper, you've got to get that paper out every day. If you work for a wire service, there's just continual deadlines. It's 24-hour deadlines. Um, uh, And there's no excuse. You have to get that story done and out. And so, you know, if I've I've got a deadline from a magazine now of, you know, next Thursday, I get that in by Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Um, I don't muck around. Because there's nothing more infuriating for an editor than to be expecting a story and the person not to supply it. Um, and then there's just the sort of um, the rough and tumble of working in a newsroom, you know, people giving you a hard time, the <laughs> insults flying all over the place. You know, if you can take that, you can more or less take anything in journalism. Would you say those insults were sort of levelled at the level of, you know, you know sort of language <laughs> approach to the... Because I, I think there's so much... Uh, there's they're so, so much involved in writing what comes across as a very sort of simple, pared-back piece of writing. Yeah. Um, but there's there's lots of conventions and, the, the, you know, the, the, there's lots of quite uh, sort of strict criteria for the way that that uh, sort of final article comes out. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about how you learnt that you know, sort of journalistic (laughs) reportage, I guess. Well, there's nothing like the embarrassment of being yelled at by the chief sub-editor for, you know, what is this nonsense? And, you know, where's the lead? How come the lead's at the bottom of the story? Why isn't it at the top of the story? Um, You know, if you spell someone's name wrong or something like that, or you don't get a quote right, or, you know, um, you learn pretty fast in in that situation. And I think those, those rules definitely should be used in travel writing. And unfortunately, I see a lot of the time that they're not. Um, how to interview someone, you know, how to allow that person to talk and, rather than just give them set 
line of questions and not listen to the answers. Um, things like that. Um, and also, I think very importantly, um, the rules um, of journalism is checking your facts, you know. Um, that's just as important in travel writing as, as in any form of, of journalism. Um, um, you know, because, you know, if you put a story out that says something about a country that's completely wrong, that's not going to help anybody in the long run. You know? No, so no. You just Real life you, consequences. Yeah, check facts, even if it means going back to your sources, to your contacts and asking them to have a look over your quotes. Sometimes you need to do that, things like that. It's a real it's easy to make mistakes. Very easy to make mistakes. It, it, it sounds <laughs> very disciplined, um, which I think is so important to writing and any sort of writing career, isn't it? It's it's that sort of discipline, and yeah. it's often self-discipline too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, they talk about how um, you know there's all sorts of different forms of media today, and there's blogs and so on, um, and you know that's just as good as as mainstream journalism. And unfortunately, I don't agree with that. I think it's great to have a wide variety of sources of news and so on but I think the old-fashioned thing of checking your facts and the, the sort of training we got um, as young journalists really really does make a difference to a story. So can you tell me about some of the spe- specific conventions of travel writing itself? Um... Well there's all sorts of different ways to write a travel story you know um, there's you know from the first person um you know i did this i did that which is not my favorite form of travel writing at all i think it's fine to have it as a first person um i think that's one form of writing that you can do that but i think putting yourself in every part of the story is basically boring for the reader (laughs) i'm inclined i'm inclined to agree yeah Um, and trying to be funny when it's not funny that's another thing that i can't i really don't like i love humor in stories but i don't think that humor comes out of um talking about yourself all the time i think the humor comes out of situations funny things that people say you know well it's also sort of a competing spotlight isn't it you you know i I think that often um you know sort of when that eye takes center stage it is actually competing with and often failing uh you know sort of with with you know sort of a city uh you know sort of a a location of people who actually have everything um already that any reader wants i think Um, a lot of um people who get into it later or younger writers um, the, mis- the mistake they make is um, not interviewing people or not talking to them or um, not um, finding an angle from a sort of person point of view. Um, uh, f- there's all sorts of different ways of doing it, but um, it just leads a reader much more into the story if you've actually got quotes there or you've, or even if it's the guide who's taking you around, you know, who has something interesting to say. I mean, I was in India few years ago and um, the guide that took us around was Rajput which is a I guess it's a uh, I'm not sure whether you'd say it's a clan but it's a kind of a class in Indian society and uh, his story about being Rajput the warrior class is so interesting and then he kept telling jokes about how his mother wanted him to marry a Rajput woman and so and he was actually a very very funny person Um, and so I ended up doing a story about him and about his background and about being Rajput and what it means in Indian society. Um, if I hadn't been interested in people, I would never have got that story. And so I guess that also impacts on, you know, sort of where you're actually placing your stories, because I, I imagine that actually there are very different venues that are interested in very different types of stories. Can, yes. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, it's getting narrower and narrower, I find. So what would you say is influencing that? Oh, just money, economics, you know, magazines closing, um, uh, freelance budgets being slashed, um, sections being closed down, all sorts of things like that. And it's quite sad because 10, 15 years ago, there was a lot more opportunity. Um, There's still the mainstream newspapers like the Herald and the Australian and so on that will buy travel stories. Um, and there's some good magazines that, that will buy them as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, your... and in terms, in, so I guess in, in terms of those, those magazines, are, are, are they sort of uh, local Australian magazines or, or are you also thinking in terms of a more sort of global market for uh, travel writing? There is a global market, but it's really hard to get into. It's very hard to get into. Um, I've so is it because it's dominated by particular... By Americans mainly, yeah. I mean, um, is, is they that... prefer to use, say it's an American publication, they prefer to use Americans, British prefer British and so on. So there's a real nationalist yeah. paradigm operating in terms of, you know, sort of these publishing houses, which can make it a little bit harder for sort of other... Um, you know, people from other places. You can. I mean, if you're based somewhere in the, say you're based, say when I was based in Central America, um, you know, that makes it um, different. You can, I used to write a little bit for USA Today and places like that. That wasn't travel writing, that was more politics. Um, But uh, really, it is hard to sell. I don't know. I mean, some younger people might find now that they're getting stories on um, websites that are international. So, um, or getting the sort of hits that then generate yeah. the sort of incomes and things from, which is a very different model to the traditional yes. sort of freelancing yes. blogs model, and so it? on are very different. I'm still trying to figure out how you make money out of that, but some people do. But it's more in the ter- in the field of f- food writing and fashion writing and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, but you know, for people starting out in Australia, there's still definitely a market. Um, and it's worth pursuing it. It's a smaller market, but you know, just go into a news agent and go through the travel magazines and note down all the travel editors and pitch your stories to them. That's the way to go. Yeah. What 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 do you think sort of entails a good pitch? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that one out after you know, 40 years or something in the business. Um, they want something short, snappy. Um, short is what? Well, a couple of paragraphs. A couple of paragraphs. Um, saying what the angle of the story is, how it's different, how you've got the story that somebody else won't have, um, who you interviewed, um, yeah. Anything that's that. likely to attract the attention of, of, of an editor, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and um, it, a lot of it's to do these days with advertising, you know, like, for, you know, unfortunately, that's the way it's gone, um, is that... If that magazine thinks it's um, it can get advertising from, say, the tourism body or the hotel chain there where you've just been, you've got a better chance of getting that story run. Right. Um, this is something I really hate. Yeah. But um, that's it's a reality. the way it is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Look, um, your Diana, your story on Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama, published in the Insider Eyewitness section of Travel Leisure Australia, is included on the re- reading list of our creative nonfiction course. Can you tell us a little bit about the writing and publish- publication processes of that story? Well, that was a story that I pitched to Travel and Leisure. Unfortunately, that magazine doesn't exist anymore. That was. Um, owned by Fairfax American Express and it it does exist in the States but the Australian publication closed down and it was a fabulous magazine so that was very sad 
But anyway, when it came out, I thought, great, this is a this is the perfect place for the story, um, because I'd heard about all these. Um, uh, civil rights museums in Alabama and going up to Mississippi and on, you know, into Memphis. And uh, mu- Americans do museums really, really well. If you've ever been to the Smithsonian museums, they're just incredible. And I think I might have been chatting to a friend, an American friend in Atlanta, and he told me about a few places there. And I thought, oh, that's a really good story. And I've lived in the States, and um, but I'd never driven all through in the South, so I thought it was an opportunity to do that. And... Um, so they said yes, they were really keen and uh, they had a good budget in those days too so that really helped because it helped with my expenses as well. And I did a lot of other stories in on that trip as well but that was the main one. And I took my teenage daughter with me so it was sort of a holiday for her. Um, and then we, on the way we stopped at Atlanta at my friend's and he has a friend who uh, used to be the driver for Martin Luther King. So. Is very famous because for this, and he was he's white, but um, was knew everybody in the civil rights movement, and he said to me, "You must talk to Tor- Doris Crenshaw, who was an activist back in the '60s," and luckily she happened to be in Montgomery when I was there. Somehow or other, I got they get I got her number and I rang her. Um, but before I went, I set up, I did a lot of research. I set up um, interviews and meetings with all the main museums along the way. So I sort of did a path, Montgomery, Selwa, um, Birmingham, and then up through um, Elvis Presley country, <laughs> which I absolutely loved, <laughs> Tupelo, where he was born, and then on to Memphis. And Memphis is, um, has got the main museum where um, it's the former Lorraine Motel where King was shot. So that's sort of the end of my story. And uh, anyway, so we met up with uh, Doris in Montgomery. And she's um, uh, she's a Christian and she's a preacher as well. And she had a group of, of black um, preachers, students, um, uh, who were down there. And she was taking them around all the sites of the civil rights movement. And it was just incredible. It was serendipitous. And she said, sure, come along. So I was in the little bus with her. Um, with all the students and they were great and so we went to all these places so I mean I just had the material just you know thrown at me really and she was a great interview as well so that was fascinating. Does that happen often that things fall (laughs) into place like that? It does actually Um, sometimes you know sometimes it's much harder work it it just I think it's if you lay the groundwork and do a lot of research and a lot of lining up then things like that will happen because people give people do like to give you contacts and they like to help Especially when it's a story like that, where they want to tell the world what happened during the civil rights period, which was, you know, incredibly um, tumultuous, um, violent, um, you know, massive period of American history. And um, also, it was interesting what happened with that story was later when I when I um, handed it in, the editor liked it, but he came back to me and he said. Um, <laughs> we actually want you to be a bit more personal in this story. Mm. And because I've written about Aboriginal issues for years and years and years, um, he said, can you put in a little bit about your um, experience of being of writing about Aboriginal issues um, so that it has a, more of a relevance to an Australian audience? So I thought, oh, that's different, because in the old days you weren't allowed to put anything about yourself in the story. Um, so um, so I added some about what, how the civil rights movement 
had an effect on the land rights and Aboriginal rights movement in Australia? Well, that the, the freedom, um, freedom rights. rights. Yeah, yeah, the freedom rights that was such a direct um, sort of... Cor- such it was a, based so, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They followed the American idea there. Um, when uh, Charlie Perkins and other students from Sydney Uni um, went on a bus through western New South Wales to all the sort of prejudiced towns and everywhere where you couldn't, the blacks couldn't swing in a pool at the same time as whites and things like that, places like Moree. Um, and that was a direct copy of what, what they did, in, particularly in Alabama. Because that, that's definitely a, a chapter of, of Australia's history that doesn't get enough airplay, does it? I mean, you know, no. and, and so in a sense, there that are good story, books about it. But in, in terms of, you know, sort of that wider readership, yeah. um, which obviously with a story like um, Alabama in Travel and Leisure, you're actually reaching, aren't you? Which d- yes. does just go to show... a different audience. Yeah. Totally different audience. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just it just goes to, to show the degree to which that sort of travel writing can actually be a vehicle for, you know, sort of many other uh, sort of concerns and, and issues. Yes. Um, I think it's a fabulous way of doing it, actually. Um, when I was at AAP, we used to get in copy from um, Reuters, uh, Ashans France Press, um, DPI, I think it is, I've forgotten now. It's the, the, the German um, wire service. And I love their stories. I really love their travel stories because, particularly Reuters, they used to usually be written by a correspondent who just thought, right, I'll dash off a travel story. You know, I've, I've been writing about the Middle East and whatever. Um, and then he'll write a travel story and it will have all the political background and historical background in it, mm, which a lot of Australian richer. stories lack. And just really, really fascinating reading and interesting reading. And, I, you know, I enjoyed those. And I like to do that with my writing. Um, yeah. In your tips on travel writing, you emphasise the importance of finding an angle for a story. This is something writers starting out often struggle with. What, mm. what is an angle? How does it work? And do you have any advice for how to come up with those angles? It's sort of it's, it's kind of a difficult one when you know to actually put it into words what an angle is. But um, usually it's a news angle, you know. So it's got something newsy that's going to happen, you know, like next week there's going to be a climate change. March, you know, so that's the angle. But with a travel story, it's it's more um, writing about something that's a little bit different. Whether it's a museum that no one's ever written about before. Um, excuse me. An example is um, I'd call this an angle. I think I was in Chile last year and I went to the Human Rights Museum in Santiago and I just wrote about. And that gave that was a chance to give an explanation of what happened during the Pinochet years, and that's the angle. Um, you know, um, it can be anything, but often it involves a, an interview and talking to people that will explain the background. Someone else recently wrote a story um, about... In in Havana, there's these women who dress up and they've got the, you know, the full sort of 19th century gear on and they're smoking a cigar and they're there to have photos taken. And they make their money out of those photos. So he went and interviewed her and asked her what her background was and why she did it and how much money she made and blah, blah, blah. And that was the angle. And it made a fabulous story. It was so, it was a really nice story. And it was not just, you know, oh, I'm in old Havana and don't I love it? And, you know, aren't I going to Ernest Hemingway's bar and all that sort of thing. It was something different that hadn't really been written about before or that I hadn't seen before anyway. 
Because yeah. often an angle will make a story manageable, won't it? Because it, it, it will sort yeah. of um, carve out that that sort of that niche that makes your story stand out, gives you something to sort of dig your dig your teeth into, yeah, um, yeah. and and sort of focus and 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 create that lovely structure that a, that a good story has. Yes, it um, makes it much much easier. I mean, it, doing an interview always helps. I, I always say that, but um, you know, like at Chernobyl. Um, you know, it's weird, but they're doing tours in Chernobyl now. And, uh, I mean, that's the, that is the angle, that they're doing tours in Chernobyl. But, you know, if you bring in maybe the the recent television series, British television series on yeah. Chernobyl or something like that, that gives it another angle. Or a movie, you know, um, Jane Eyre Country, so you write about, you know, this movie's just come out, so you write about, you know, Yorkshire or... That, that sort of thing. gives you a sort of a dialogue happening, doesn't it? Um, that allows you to sort of really invigorate that that content and give yeah. you little sort of hooks that that um, sort of yeah, I guess right. capture the the, the reader because it's all it is about capturing a reader's yeah, attention. Yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, it should be. It's, it's not just selling ads. You know? No, no. It's meant to be enjoyable, you know. And not only that, um, it's meant to be um, giving you information. Like a lot of people read the travel sections because they're about to go somewhere and they want to get tips, you know, on where or get information about where they're going. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 travel writing is hard because it's a mix of um, something that's enjoyable, but it's also giving you information and, and help, you know, if you want to go somewhere. And, um, you know, how of most travel stories have a box with um, websites and um, airlines and how to get to places and things like that. So you need all that sort of information as well. And you, you as writer, are actually responsible for that. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, you have to do that. Um, and uh, what happens a lot in the travel writing industry now is that, or it's been happening for years, is that um, travel companies or hotel chains or airlines or whatever will, will host these things called famils, and a group of travel journalists will be taken on them. And um, so if you see at the bottom of a story so-and-so or the writer was a, a guest of Air China, um, that means that you've, it, it's either a famil or they've given you a free trip or they've, you know, you've given you a discount or something like that. So you need to put that at the disclaimer at the end of a story. So, so, so pretty much you pretty much need to have enough out there that you start to attract these sorts of offers or is it the case that if you're employed by I guess by a particular sort of agency then you might sort of get sent places is is that sort of the way yeah I mean if you've got a reputation as a freelancer and um you'll you'll get invited on those trips um or they'll go to, say, a company like AAP and say, look, I've got this, can you find someone to send? So my job as editor was to find an AAP journalist who could go, and often they hadn't done done any travel writing before, so you sort of give them a bit of, um, bit of a lecture on how to do it, and then, um, uh, and then they go on the trip and come back and write about it. And the idea of the disclaimer is so, you know, if people think this person's really biased and this story is too pro-something, at least they can read that at the end that, oh, well, it's you know that's the reason one. but hopefully the idea is not to be too biased you're meant to be objective and that's tricky it is tricky um, um would you say that it, it, it did it would you say that it's you've arrived at a place where you're enough of these offers are coming your way that you can expect to live fairly you know is it is it a it's precarious hard. way of it's, making a living yes most travel writers have to do something else on the side to make you know to um 
you know, whether it's teaching or casual reporting, casual sub-editing or whatever. Um, I mean, there are some that make a full-time living out of it, but boy, they work hard. They work really, really hard. They turn those stories over very, very quickly and they're traveling all the time as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's not easy. It used to be easier to do to make a living out of it. Um, your article on Alabama contains a lot of information about the civil rights movement in America. What, what type of types of research went into the writing of that article and how important is research to good travel writing? It's really, really important. Research is essential. I mean, even if you don't have a lot of time to do the research before a trip, um, keep doing it while you're there. And, you know, part of the trip is research is, you know, talking to people um, or reading, you know, like I pick up whatever I can find if there's little booklets or, you know, all that sort of stuff. I love it. Um, so long as you don't rewrite the brochure and make it write a boring story. Uh, but um, I, I just, I mean, this is me, but I enjoy a story that has a lot of background and, you know, historical background and so on in it. So I think it's important. But I mean, you. Not every story is like that, though. I mean, I know from our conversation that you're you're a reader, and so I imagine that you're attracted to to, to sort of reading the, the the history, the politics of places. Yes. Um, yeah. And obviously, the Alabama article is is very distilled, and I mean, it's actually jam packed. <laughs> it, it it is very you know sort of much full of a, a lot of historical detail. Um, so I, I I guess you're. I guess your research is 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 would loosely be described as as, as interviews. Um, yeah. Is is interviews, it also books, even novels? You know, one of the things I really love when I'm travelling is oh, you know, this is a good way of going to a country is to if try and find films from that country on the plane, um, on the way there, and and watch them just to get a feeling for the country before you get there. Um, you know, you know, say you're flying Qantas or something. They've got an incredible selection of movies, um, and, and usually I try and buy novels by those writers when I'm away. You know, if they've been translated into English, but that's not so much research. It's more getting a feeling. Um, but I, I, but th I think that's yeah. very much you know, sort of. I think partly sort of broadening that notion of what research is yeah. um, is, 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 is part of um, I guess uh, an apprenticeship towards writing isn't it because as a scholar you know you might just be looking at scholarly articles yeah, yeah. Um, you know sort of monographs and things like that but as, as, as a travel writer it's it's much more inclusive in terms of it's, it's in terms of There's so much online film, yeah um, you know, online I guess libraries newspapers yeah. all of that sort of thing just google it and find what you can find and you know you've got enough to keep you going for a week or something Inversing. say you're going to Beijing or something like that and um or the Great Wall you know there's so much material um sometimes it can be overwhelming and you have to sort of just you know allow yourself to have your own fresh observations as well and um you know whether it's talking to other people on the ground or um I'm just thinking about the Great Wall you know we were there in the middle of winter and I went up with someone on this funny old um, cable car and was chatting to him and sort of that gave another aspect to it as well. Um, so yeah, you don't let the research overwhelm the story too much. You've got to allow things to fall into place. I mean, in that Alabama story, um, I ended up uh, with my daughter. We went to dinner with Doris at the end of the day and she had this doctor 
this very um, very attractive young doctor and his wife, and um, he talked about the obesity epidemic um, in America, and that gave a whole different angle to the story as well. I mean, it's the a sort of currency, isn't it? Yes. It's the currency of this. Well, what's the story today? What's happened since the civil rights movement? What is you know what's going on? Um, even if it's you know it was only a couple of paragraphs, it, it gave a different idea. So, you know, talk to the people that you're with and see what they have to say because just adding those conversations in doesn't have to be a direct, you know, um, old-fashioned type interview. Just even bits of conversation can that really lift a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, no, 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 that, that's, um, that, that's fascinating. Um, how do you approach topics like race and social justice in your writing? Uh, well, I've always written about them, so I can't sort of can't help bringing them in they're not in everything I write but um well obviously with the Alabama story that was all about you know race and social injustice so I put in the background and the history to that um uh I think as I say keep saying by interviewing people and seeing what they have to say about it is the way to go especially the locals um and um I mean, this isn't actually for the travel writing, but in my book, you know, I've got a character who's stolen generations. And so through the character, I tell the story of, of what happened to him and what happened, what possibly happened to his mother. And um, it's always, I think, personal stories are the way to go. I think um, if you give too much chunks of history, of heavy history, um, people turn off. But if you tell it through a person's anecdotes or or observations or their own feelings about the, the, the matter, people can relate to it better. So it's very much about letting your writing capture the voices of other people yeah. so that you're not sort of speaking for someone yes, so exactly. much as giving them a platform in which they can speak for themselves. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, you know, in the early, uh, when was it, in the late 70s when I started writing about this sort of thing, the, most of those people hadn't had a chance to, to have a voice, particularly you know, in mainstream media. They just, I mean, they do today um, much more. It's not perfect, but back then, you know, they loved being able to talk to a journalist and get their stories out. You know, I was, I never, I was never at a loss for stories. Because you, you have quite a strong relationship with the Kimberleys, yeah. and so do you still see that very much as part of your writing um, sort of yes. goal? Yeah. Uh, well, last year I did a long story on the, um, the Fitzroy River um, that hasn't been published yet, um, so I'm waiting for it to come out. Uh, and that I followed the river from the source to the mouth, um, talking to a huge range of people. You know, gosh, talking about research, I really did a lot of research for that. And um, from farmers to Aboriginal groups to um, um, to activists, you know, just to people who lived along the river and about the future and about water and about, you know, um, the use of irrigation and all that sort of thing. And um, they, most people really did, they really wanted to talk about it. And so it wasn't hard to find them. Um, and then I told, you know, some, I found, it was really lovely actually, I found the a traditional owner who was born pretty close to what they think was the mouth, oh, sorry, the source of the Fitzroy. And... Um, and he just wanted to tell stories of the old days and all that sort of thing. So, um, yes, that is a story that is probably going to, is going to be published in Australian Geographic. It's not really a traditional travel story and it's not a traditional um, political story, but it combines the two in a way.
Yeah, mm. look, um, what sort of what sort of techniques, what sort of writing techniques do you use to make your stories memorable? Um, I don't know it more than what I've been saying already. Because um, I guess um, I guess what I mean by taking that taking people is to the place. Taking well, mm. how do you take somebody to a place that they haven't been? Um, well, I often I'm a bit. <laughs> I've looked over some of my stories recently. I thought, gee, I really start very much the same in nearly every story. But it's like I'm there, um, you know, describing the day, the the environment, um, the people. Um, not some, you know, you can start a story with a quote and things like that. But I don't think that works so well in a travel story. Um, I think just describing the place is the way to get people in, and then you move in. So it's kind of you know the old triangle idea where you start, you start and then you start, um, you start at the top and then you start to give background and um, and then you, within that you weave in um, the political background, what's going on now. Um, for example, the Fitzroy moves to make why it became World Heritage listed. What are the what are the issues that people are worried about? You know, fracking, irrigation, things like that. And then you gradually weave in the interviews and the people you've met along the way. That that Fitzroy story is a bit simpler because of following the river. Gives it a structure. It gives it a structure right away. Um, but um, I did about twenty drafts of that story. It was a two thousand word story. So it was a, I really it was really quite difficult. Um, whereas other ones you just write it and it flows. I'll give you another example. Um, I was in Suriname and um, incredible trip um, way down the um, the river, the Suriname River, um, at a village of Maroons who are descendants of escaped African slaves. So Suriname is a Dutch former Dutch colony in the northern part of South America. It's been independent since '75, and these people moved. They led a guerrilla warfare against the Dutch, escaped from the plantations made their way down through the jungle and formed these communities. Absolutely amazing, and they've got this incredible oral culture. So I was in a um, in a meeting, we were invited to a meeting, um, in the sort of like the community council meeting, and there was a guy sitting there going, mm, mm, yeah, yeah. And I thought, what the hell is he doing? So I asked, you know, the guide afterwards, and he said, well, he's the secretary, he's the Baha, they're called the Baha, called the Baja. Um, and he takes notes in his head, doesn't write anything down, <laughs> but has this incredible memory. So um, that you know, you couldn't start a story any other way except telling that telling that story. Uh, so, so, so finding the detail, and and I guess I, I think I think probably what I, I was was sort of asking as well was just that I, I think sometimes there's a perception with travel writing that all the way through it's going to be laden, you know, with description of place and things like that. But I, I guess. It, it's sort of one of those things where you are scene setting at the start yeah. and then getting into a deeper story, yes. um, which I think is helpful for people when they're starting out is just to, to sort of give themselves permission not to necessarily labour over over sort of descriptions all the way through, no. but allow themselves to find a story to tell. That's right. You know, sort of situate situate the reader, you know, give them a sense of the beginning, but then tell a story. Yeah, um, yeah, always think of story, story, story. And... Um, yeah, sometimes too much description can just be a bit too overwhelming for the reader. Yeah, because it's not about the language, is it? The language isn't... Um, Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not the star. Yeah. The place is the star. Cut out the adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need lots of adjectives. Just describe what you see. 
describe smells and things like that as well. I think people often forget some of the other senses and they can be really evocative. Um, Look, just to finish up, Diana, do you have any tips for starting out as a travel writer today? Um, Well, if if it's really what you want to do, be persistent, um, be professional. Don't, if you don't, you know, if if you think you're going to get a famil or something for free, make sure you deliver um, because you get a very bad reputation very quickly and that's the end of your career. Um, In fact, you know, if you can do it without going through that way, if you can do things off off your own bat, um, it's better in the long run, really. Um, And, I mean, some of the best travel writing I've read has been by novelists, to tell you the truth. So there's different ways of getting into it. Um, Who who would you recommend? um, uh, Might have to stop this for a second. Um, Sorry to put you on the spot like that. No, there's nothing. Get... There's nothing like um, um, that. That, that I just fatal, thought... fatal last question <laughs> where you know you're oh, absolutely. The English writer Hanif Qureshi is oh yes, amazing. That fabulous writer. I yeah, love yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've read some of his travel writing, and they're just articles. And now and again, I don't. I don't think he's got any books of travel writing or anything like that. But yeah, he's just powers yeah. of observation, and he's so funny. I've read his so novels, funny. I haven't read his travel writing, so yeah. I'm going to If you've Google ever read that. Buddha of Suburbia or those books. Oh, um, I know. The last one I read was uh, the one where it's a, it's a dying, it's an elderly sort of ageing man. But oh, anyway, yeah. we won't. <laughs> he was much funnier when he was younger, and he, he's got much more serious as he went older. But his funny books um, are so brilliant. And he also did um, the film My Beautiful Laundrette and other yeah, films. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I've read some of his travel writing, and it's superb. Um, there's um, people talk about Pico Aya I suppose he's not too bad he's very well known yeah, um, I think he's he's actually one of the yeah on the list as well yeah um, there's there's lots but um, um, that's all I can think of yeah no, no 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 Diana you've been so generous with your time thank you for listening to this week's episode of From the Lighthouse Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast.